0: Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked in the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey Hunbots and Hunbros, it's been another week. I feel like they just fly right by. I will say that I am kind of happy that I'm not doing double episodes because I have time to get back into my regular schedule, but I also kind of miss being so busy. So you may see some bonus episodes coming up in the future, but as of right now, I'm happy for the break. Uh, This episode is a really heavy episode, but it is necessary because of the topics that we will be getting into this year. I wanted to get into this topic last year, but I just didn't really have the time to do it the way I wanted to, and so we're starting it now. Uh, This topic has come up in multiple episodes in the past year, and in multiple documentaries that have come out lately, and documentaries that we will be getting into in watch parties on the Discord as well, but that is the topic of sexual abuse, um, and specifically child sexual abuse. I know it's a really heavy topic, and I want to give you guys enough content warnings in these types of episodes so that you can choose whether or not you're ready to listen to it. But I will say that today is really strictly educational, and we are talking with Dr. Amy Saltzman, MD, about how to spot a spider and her method of going about talking to our children and understanding what coercive control looks like. So in this episode, we talk about overt and covert abuse, we talk about grooming, and there's mentions of suicidal thoughts. But like I said, this is one of those intersectional topics that I didn't really think would ever come up when talking about MLMs. And in doing research into cults and coercive control, it has come up a lot more than expected. And because you guys understand my format of taking baby steps into heavy topics, that's why I thought the educational stuff first would be really great. Before we get into talking about these documentaries and these institutions and the way people are exploited within this system. We also talk a little bit about the dangers of the life coaching space and the Boy Scouts of America. I want to welcome our newest Patreon members, Kimberly Wells Booty, Mary Beth Evans, Tanya Scry again. I hope I said that right. Let me know if I did or not. <laughs> Kelly Rutledge and Stephanie O. I really appreciate all of the support and welcome to the Patreon. I also don't want to forget to remind you guys to join the Discord because it is so fun. In this past week, we watched the first episode of Lula Rich. We did have a little bit of technical difficulties. Michelle and I are working on that. But this week, we are talking to Lachey, and I am really excited for that. All of the Discord stuff is free, and you can find the link to join the Discord and how everything works in the show notes. It's a really fun community. We've got all kinds of different threads. So if that's something you're interested in, please hop on over there and say hi. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. We've got a heavy episode today. It is filled with trigger warnings, but it is incredibly important topic. We're going to be diving into this topic a lot more this year And so I wanted to start off this conversation with my guest today, Amy Saltzman, MD. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. I'm going to let her explain it. She's the professional here. Dr. Amy, welcome to the show. It's so great to finally sit across from you and have this conversation.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you and to be here to empower your listeners, to empower their children, teens, and young adults to spot and stop grooming and abuse in all settings?
0: This topic comes up a lot, and it has come up before on the show. My guests have talked about the abuse that they endured as children in their religious organizations and other organizations that they were in. It's come up enough times that I've had to do some research on it, and I'm not the expert, and I don't really know the exact things to say or the warning signs or anything like that. So when you reached out to me saying, hey, this is what I do," this is what I'm known for. This is my business. I would love to have this conversation with you and help educate not only you, but your listeners as well. I jumped at the chance. I know this conversation is a long time in the making. We actually, I got sick a couple of times too, even after we recorded and we had to reschedule, but it is really great to have you. Please explain to my listeners, who you are, what your website's about, and what you do, and then we will get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation.
1: Okay. So I'm a physician. I am a mindfulness coach. I am a former gymnast. I am a survivor, or I like to say surthriver, of decades of covert emotional abuse, which I think we'll spend some time on today and an abuse prevention expert. Wow.
0: That has got to be a really heavy job to have.
1: It is. And I really feel like I took a soul-shattering experience and have used it not only to help others, but to reclaim my true self. And then to help others reclaim themselves. So it's heavy, but there's a way where it's super uplifting.
0: Yeah. Very empowering, giving people the language to be able to talk about what happened to them and to prevent it in the future. I'm really excited to talk about this heavy topic because- Like I said, it comes up a lot of times just in passing in stories where people say, oh yeah, and then my stepdad abused me for a few years or, and then this thing happened to me. And it's a lot of times in passing. And I feel like as an advocate for survivors and thrivers and getting out of these abusive situations and learning what they were so that we can give language, I think that this is just a conversation that has been on its way and now it's here. So if you're triggered right now already, because again, it is a very hard conversation we're going to have and you need to skip it. That's fine. I would definitely suggest when you're in a better headspace coming back and listening to this because it is really important, especially for parents who have young children who are out and about in the world doing their things in teams and sports and schools and organizations. And this is really important information to know and to be able to teach at age appropriate levels to our children. So this is your big content warning.
1: I do think it's really important for your listeners to take care of themselves. And just statistically speaking, they have a certain percentage of your listeners are going to have direct experience with this. However triggering or distressing or uncomfortable this conversation may be for you, I promise you it is a thousand times more uncomfortable to have a conversation with your child after the fact.
0: Oh my god, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's get into it. We're going to be talking about grooming right now. I really I want to understand and I think a lot of my listeners really just want to understand the word grooming and what that means and what it implies. Because you hear people use that word sometimes and they're talking about just preparing anybody for anything. Like I was groomed and I've been corrected by people saying, no, this is more towards like essay, and that grooming is specifically toward this act. So can you explain to us what grooming is and what it looks like?
1: I want to break that question down into a couple parts. So I think we are as a culture taught that grooming is something that leads to sexual abuse. And I actually think that definition is inaccurate because grooming is actually covert emotional abuse, also known as coercive control. And in and of itself, whether it leads to any other kind of overt abuse, it is abusive And there's data actually to show that people who are subjective to psychological abuse, which is another term for grooming, are more likely to have dissociative symptoms and PTSD than people who experience overt abuse. And the reason is because it's covert on top of the abuse, the victim is left wondering, like, did that really happen? I'm not really sure. What if I'm making it up? And so the subtle or what I call the sneaky behaviors of grooming, again, coercive control, are in and of themselves abusive. It is true that then grooming sets someone up for overt emotional abuse, overt physical abuse, overt sexual abuse, and for many of your listeners, overt financial abuse.
0: Yeah, okay. So grooming really doesn't necessarily have to be about sexual abuse. It's any sort of covert control, gaslighting, lying, manipulating, those sort of things, in order to elicit a future response.
1: Exactly. And the future response is to make someone more susceptible to abuse, more obedient, more dependent.
0: There's something that I say a lot of times here, and it's like the comfort in the chaos. People that are raised in abusive situations often have abusive partners because you are just grown up that way. That's normal to you. So is that sort of kind of the same as this grooming?
1: On the outside, grooming may not look chaotic, but on the inside, grooming for sure feels chaotic because you are confused the long-term thing is they are gaslighting you and they are making you doubt yourself and your own reality. And so that is very internally chaotic.
0: Okay. Yeah. That absolutely makes sense to me. You know, this is like something that comes up and I don't even have the right language for it. And so I appreciate you correcting and sort of leading us down the right path, because like I said, this is so important and I'm learning all of this as we're going as well. So let's talk a little bit about the differences between covert and overt abuse, because I think most of us victims of multi-level marketing and cults and scams and things like that are more used to the covert abuse. The I didn't realize it was happening. I didn't know the grooming like we're talking about. So what's the difference between covert abuse and overt abuse? And if you have any examples, that would be incredibly helpful as well.
1: Yeah. And as we talk, you may have examples, but let's just talk about, I want to back up a step and talk about my program's called Spot a Spider. And part of how I came to create Spot a Spider is, as I said, I am a survivor of 31 years of covert emotional abuse or coercive control by a life coach What happened is after 31 years, I asked to leave or complete the relationship and asking to leave is a big red flag. So we'll just say that. And when I asked to leave, the life coach insisted that I get a neuropsychological exam. So I had a full, very expensive neuropsych workup that included seven hours of testing for me and the psychologist talking to my husband for an hour and actually at that point i was still at a point where i trusted my coach and believed she had my best interests at heart and actually believed she knew me best and could have the best view of what was going on with me and so the psychologist also talked to the coach for two hours In the end, the psychologist determined that my relationship was with the coach who had the whole reason she had me be tested was she was saying either I had Alzheimer's or some other neurological condition. And as a physician, I was convinced enough that I believed her, even though I'm a physician. Or I think she had the hubris to think that she was going to convince the psychologist that one, the coaching was in my best interest, and two, that I was resisting the coaching so that the long-term outcome for her that she was hoping for was that the psychologist was going to say, you need to keep working with the coach. But what the psychologist said was this is a relationship of undue influence. And in that one sentence, what happened for me was It was as if I had turned my head or the light had shifted and all of a sudden I could see the full 31 years of the spider's web being woven. Like in that moment, I saw it. As part of my recovery in learning about kind of what happened to me, I also realized, oh, these are the same behaviors exactly that are used to groom athletes or teachers used to groom students or music teachers use or Boy Scouts we were talking about before you started recording or priests. Like these are the exact same behaviors. So now we're getting to your question about covert emotional abuse, which is covert emotional abuse has patterns that are, once you learn to recognize them, they're very obvious. They are woven very slowly, very meticulously, like one single shimmering thread at a time, so that the victim doesn't notice till they're trapped. So, the covert emotional abuse and why my first video is called How to Spot a Sneaky Spider is it's very sneaky, very subtle. And what I want to do is help people see it being woven. So let's talk about some of the patterns. So the first pattern is usually love bombing, making someone feel special. You're my favorite athlete. Or sometimes in certain organizations, especially like high-performing organizations, like an elite I'm going to talk about athletes because that's kind of my preferred domain, but this applies in any domain. But in a lot of places, that sense of specialness is actually baked in. If you're on an elite travel team or if you're in the top orchestra or if you're in the elite group in your dance studio, then that sense of specialness is already there. But then the coach or the Whoever can play off that sense of specialness. So, the first thing is a sense of specialness. And then, love bombing in these settings with kids often includes giving little gifts. And it can be something simple a candy bar, a little trinket, offering extra time in coaching, offering a ride home, texting or messaging one child separate from the other kids. You know, those are all ways to make kids feel special. The next pattern is if someone says, ah, you know, I feel kind of uncomfortable about this. This doesn't seem right to me. Then usually the coach will be super charming and they'll say, well, this is how all great coaches coach their best athletes, or you don't need to be nervous or, I can help you make your dreams come true. And then if someone pushes back still, often the love bombing and the charm is enough and the coach doesn't need to resort to any other pattern because they've entangled the person already. But if someone pushes back, then the coach will start to bully and they'll say, you know, you need me to succeed and without me, you won't be anything and they'll kind of do the go ahead and leave, but then your life will be ruined. And then the next thing is, and I don't want to make it sound like these are steps because they're kind of all intertwined and happening at once, but they start separating the victim from their friends, from their family, from their support group. So they'll say things like if a teammate is bringing up problems with the coach will say, oh, well, that teammate's just jealous and she doesn't have what it takes and she's in a bad headspace. so don't hang out with her. If a victim, a child victim's parents are raising concerns and saying, you know, honey, I really, I'm not comfortable with this coach. I think we need to switch teams or whatever. The coach will tell the child, your parents don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what it takes to be great. They don't understand you the way I do. I can support you better than your parents. If an assistant coach is bringing up things, the coach will say, oh, well, the assistant coach doesn't know what they're talking about. Or if it's within the coach's power, they'll actually get the assistant coach fired. So they're separating the victim and isolating the victim because an isolated victim is much easier to abuse. Often, abusive coaches will brag about how great they are and if they're super sneaky they'll tell you how great they are one day and then the next day they'll say oh well i wouldn't say i'm great but so and so said i'm great and she brought all her friends to the team and like if you can't see my greatness then that's your pro- like you're missing out and that's your problem they lie and deny so they'll say i didn't say that i didn't do that that's not how it happened And the last thing is often they will trick their victims into lying. So, this is kind of an intense story, but I do feel like it's important for your audience to hear. So, there was a gymnastics coach who was abusive, and he was so abusive that one of his gymnasts attempted suicide. And when he found out, when the girl came back to the gym, He didn't show remorse or concern. He was mostly concerned about his reputation. And he demanded that the girl tell her teammates that the reason she had missed practice was because she had an allergic reaction. Then, to make matters even worse, the girl had been recruited by a college coach. And the girl's main gymnastics coach called the college coach and told him to lie and say that he, the college coach, had never contacted the girl and never offered her a scholarship. So they're very sneaky. And I should back up and say one thing. Usually when they're trying to get someone to lie, they start with little lies. So they'll say to a kid, you didn't do your conditioning or you have a bad attitude. And because. The kid just wants to do the sport or activity that they love and they don't want any conflict with the coach. They'll just say, sorry, I'll finish my conditioning and they'll go redo what they already did. Or they'll say, sorry, you know, I'll change my attitude instead of saying, no, I actually did my conditioning and my attitude is because you're scaring me. And I'm not saying that I expect any child to stand up to a spider and do those things, but Once the coach knows that you'll kind of bend to their will and apologize for something that you didn't do, then they have the sense that they can get away with more and more. So that was a lot. So you can pause, we can all (laughs) take a breath, and then you can ask whatever questions you have.
0: Yeah. Well, so the first thing is the term spider. Is that something that you came up with?
1: I did because of Really, this feeling of like in that instance, when the psychologist said this has been a relationship of undue influence, it did have that feeling of like suddenly shifting focus and like the whole web coming in. And because the weaving of the web is so subtle and like you don't know you're trapped till you're trapped, I just felt like that's a super easy way. To convey in kid language. And when I say kid in this case, I do have videos that walk through this and they work for kids like seven and up and even teens and young adults, I think can benefit and kind of can benefit from the very simple presentation because this is such an intense topic, like having it presented in a simple Way where the videos have me talking and animations, and it's you know, I think it applies to pretty much everyone, probably till you know, people are in college.
0: Yeah, it, it's a really good analogy. The first time that you mentioned spider in the web, I was like, you know what, that actually makes a lot of sense because you don't realize that there's all of this other stuff that has been put in place and woven into this web. That maybe you missed the first time or you agreed to that you didn't realize what the actual true intentions were. So the spider analogy is really accurate, I think. And like you said, kid-friendly and easy to understand for young minds who don't understand these really big, horrific concepts yet. So as you were kind of going down the checklist of love bombing and the charming and the bullying that leads into gaslighting and all of this, it reminded me a lot of MLM. Obviously, there are predators like that in MLM, financial predators. The love bombing, I think we experience a lot in MLM and the gaslighting for sure. But one of the things that I notice a lot of times online is that these words are misused and overused. The same way where people are like, it's a cult, it's a cult. And I was like, well, technically not. Like, let's not muddy the waters here because cults are really real and scary and we can't just call everything a cult. But it's the same sort of thing. So I was wondering if we could go down these terms and you could sort of give us your professional opinion and understanding of these terms. So when you say love bombing, what I've experienced as love bombing is just like super nice, so nice you show up and everybody wants to be your best friend. And there's a term in MLM that we use that's called swarming. And it actually kind of works with the spider reference too, because with an MLM, it's not just one person that's love bombing you like a coach or a troop leader or a priest. It's your upline. It's your downline. It's your sidelines. When you join a team, not only is your upline and their upline so excited that you're there, but your entire team is like, yay. They make posts on social media. They welcome you. There's a photo. I remember this happening in all of the MLMs that I joined. It was like, send us a picture so we can do an introductory post and like let everybody know how great you are. And it felt really good. And I know there are people listening right now nodding their heads because it happened to them too. So let's talk about love bombing and what is love bombing and maybe what wouldn't be love bombing.
1: I think it's a little bit tricky to distinguish like, love bombing from sincere support. And I think it's intentional by the spider to like kind of blur those lines. But I think like kind of the high that you're describing and if it's a community situation, like an MLM community, that sense of belonging, like as humans, we all crave authentic connection and community. And I think what distinguishes love bombing from authentic connection and community is that it's not authentic, that it's superficial and that it's manipulative. And part of the problem is it's very hard to tell the difference until after. And so I think the place, the warning signs that love bombing isn't Just support is when you feel you can't say no, when you feel you can't leave without being ostracized, when you can't have a discussion about something that's concerning to you. All of those would have me think that it's more, the behaviors are more about creating obedience and dependence.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's really, I mean, exactly what I was looking for. The authenticity of it. Like, I think I've been through enough experiences in my life that when someone compliments me, I can tell that it's a genuine compliment or it's like, what do you want? Why are you being so nice? We just met. And I think a lot of times, if you haven't been through a lot of different types of love bombing, you wouldn't know the difference. But I think those of us who have, we start to learn to trust our gut. And when people are like, extra nice for no reason. We're like, why are you being so nice? And it kind of goes into that love bombing. So being able to ask questions or express your own concern and not get pushed back and have people be like, oh yeah, no. Or feeling that you could leave or change your mind at any time are really good indicators that the love that you're receiving is authentic versus coercive.
1: Right. And one of the issues is that it gets even more tricky for children because children in a coaching situation, in a school situation, in a Boy Scout situation, in a church situation, they are already told that they need to be obedient. And the assumption by both the child and the family is that the people in these organizations are trustworthy. And I do want to say that I think most people in those types of organizations are trustworthy. I want to teach people how to catch the 5% who aren't.
0: Let's talk about the word gaslighting and what that actually means, because I think this is the one that I see the most times people not understanding that term.
1: Yeah. So the way I describe gaslighting, and it is a term that I describe in the videos, is it's behavior that's meant to make you doubt yourself and doubt your view of reality and basically trust the abuser more than you trust yourself and when gaslighting's done really really well at the end you believe the abuser's view so much that you actually end up weaving the web for them. So in an athlete's case, that might look like, well, I'm weak and I'm just not trying hard enough. And if I do better, then the coach will be happy. And coach is such a great coach that like, I must be the problem, right? They've told you that so many times that now You're telling yourself that, and you're weaving the web for them.
0: Wow. I mean that you're not trying hard enough. You don't want it enough. You're not here for the right reasons. That's all MLM stuff. Right. And we know, In an MLM, we are checking off the boxes. We are posting. We are sharing. We are using the product. We're doing exactly. We're reading the books. We're going to the courses. We're showing up at the webinars, and it's still not working. And we're told that we're not trying hard enough, that we don't want it enough. And so that's very relatable too.
1: Right. It's your fault. It's the athlete's fault. And of course, it's never, ever the coach's fault or the MLM's fault.
0: Yeah. The fault, the shift of blame of fault, I think, is such a huge red flag with gaslighting. Even if you can't see the gaslighting, even if you are like, maybe I did say that. Maybe I didn't try hard enough. If you push back and the fault always continues to lie on you- That is a big, huge red flag if you're not understanding what gaslighting really is.
1: Right. So one other piece, and this isn't said directly in the videos, I think it comes through, but like the sense that the coach is the infallible authority, or your upline is the infallible authority, or the organization is your infallible authority, and that there's no sense of responsibility on their side.
0: It's so relatable. I mean, I know we're talking about spiders, but I'm thinking back to my time in MLM and getting a little triggered and being like, oh my gosh, that was a spider. She was a spider. She was a spider. Mark and Deanna are spiders. Well, the
1: whole MLM is a spider.
0: (laughs) It's one huge web with a bunch of little webs inside the webs with different spiders at different parts of the web, all working together for the greatest good of MLM as a whole.
1: Right. Well, and it doesn't matter if it's, I don't love this term, but like in a romantic, abusive relationship or an athlete with a coach or an MLM or a cult, the patterns that spiders weave are the same in every environment. I joke, it's not really a funny joke, but it's like they all went to the library and got the same book on how to be abusive and that they just follow the pattern. So the setting doesn't matter. It's the behaviors that matter because they are the same in every setting.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I want to go back to what you said in the beginning a little bit and talk about your 31 years with a life coach and and what that looked like because I didn't even know about that and we talk about that sort of survivor and surthriver like you say story. So How old were you when you had this life coach? Is this when you were doing gymnastics?
1: No. So I was, it's a little bit ironic because my sporting experience was exceptional and I had great coaches as a child athlete. When I was 25, a friend of mine introduced me to her, who I met bike racing, introduced me to her life coach and I went to a seminar. She went around and had everybody, you know, kind of tell their story. And then in the afternoon, she told everyone their act. And she was dead on with everyone. I didn't like what she had to say about me, but I figured I had a lot to learn from her. It was 31 years of leaving the web. And in large part, not entirely, because I've done my homework, but that's where my expertise comes from, is like going back and looking at how did she weave the web? How did I turn over my sense of self to her? How did I become obedient to her? How did I become dependent on her? It was subtle. I mean, the other analogy besides the spider that I'm sure you've heard and used a thousand times is like the frog in the hot water, right? It was 31 years of the temperature being turned up.
0: Wow. And it wasn't until she insisted you were crazy and get psychological evaluation and a professional was like, you're in a bad situation that you really saw everything.
1: I had asked to leave. So there was some part of me that knew that it wasn't okay. And really the reason I asked to leave is like, I was feeling for something that was meant to be supportive and helping me be my best self and, you know, live my dreams and be of service. I was feeling more and more fear. Like really my fear at that point was, basically, this is the extreme version of go ahead and leave. and But it was, if I leave, my life will be ordinary, mundane hell, as opposed to the promised, extraordinary bliss that she kept promising. But it got to a point where I just was experiencing so much fear. I was like, This is the antithesis of what I wanted. And so, and at that point, it was really like, okay, probably I'm failing, but I can't live in this much fear anymore.
0: So, just 31 years of psychological and financial control at the hands of someone who dangled a carrot and promised the world.
1: Yeah. It was very sneaky, it was very subtle. And there's still a lot of like the spiritual beliefs and whatever that I have chosen to keep, but they were used in this case to manipulate. So, what I describe it as is it was like when the psychologist said this, it was like an earthquake. I lost someone I had loved and trusted, like really with all my heart. I lost my orientation to the world, my sense of self, my belief system. And I knew I was going to at least for a time and so far still to this day, lose a loved one who's very near and dear to me. So it was like my whole life collapsed on top of me.
0: Wow. And how long ago did this happen? How long have you been free?
1: This was the date of the diagnosis the freeing diagnosis was I think August 26 2020.
0: Wow. And how do you feel in the last 3 years of not having that control over your head every day?
1: I do feel free. There are a lot of feelings. I feel anger at the kind of at the continued damage within my family. Surprisingly, I feel a certain sense of compassion for the coach, because I've done enough to understand that her behavior comes out of her own trauma. I do want to say that there are plenty of people who've gone through similar traumas who then don't go on to traumatize other people. So, and I feel really good about what I've done with my experience and what I've brought to the world. And the irony is kind of funny, like I always wanted to work with the U.S. national soccer team and that was something she promised me she would help me with and i am now serving on the us soccer federation's participant safety task force because they had a lot of abuse in the nwsl and soccer so i feel like what i set out to accomplish and who i set out to be and you know what i set out to give to the world i am doing that now so i am who I always said and knew I was. So that's nice.
0: Congratulations. That's an amazing accomplishment. It is. And I'm sure now, even having the background that you have, being in this position probably just means even so much more to you because it was dangled for so long. And then you were able to (laughs) leave this coercive situation and get it on your own. With this person was like, you'll be nothing without me. Yeah. And you were like, Okay, it took me not even a tenth of the time I was with you (laughs) to get it on my own. Exactly. Like, it's just incredible. Congratulations, Dr. Amy. That's really cool. Thank you. So you mentioned the Boy Scouts, and I'm going to talk about this briefly because while I was sick, I watched a documentary about the Boy Scouts sort of in preparation because I knew I was talking to you and I wanted to get a good idea of coercive control in other organizations that I don't talk about. I understand the religious stuff. I understand the MLM. I understand the relationships and that kind of stuff. But to see it from a child's perspective and to look at it, I decided I was going to watch this documentary. And I know that you said that you haven't seen it yet, but you know what it's about because this is what you do. I will put a link to it in the show notes. I'm not sure exactly what it was called, but it is a documentary about these lawsuits that came out accusing the Boy Scouts of sexual abuse. And it was really horrific. And I think it's really important to say this because a lot of these lawsuits that were coming out were for abuse that had happened like 30 or 40 years ago. And so it was these boys that are now men who are now in their 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, who are like, I have to tell somebody and it, it also talks about how like there's a whole nother group of boy scouts who are not 40 50 or 60 years old yet who are not ready to tell their stories who could quite have possibly have been abused in the last 30 years that just have not come out yet and it was really incredibly eye opening they had sort of like a call to action like hey if you want to get into this class action lawsuit that we're going to do if you've been ab- abused by the boy scouts like hit us up and they were like we were expecting like maybe 10,000 20,000 they got 80 Three thousand complaints from boys ranging from like the 60s when the Boy Scouts started until like the mid 80s or something like that. It was literally like a 20 year span, 83,000. And they talk about this, these spiders. And some of these troop leaders were single men who had never been married, never had kids, never had any sort of real relationships. They were almost like these like nomadic men who just sort of wandered around and like would land in cities and they would team up together and they'd be like, do you want to start a Boy Scout troop? And they would go to the less fortunate areas of town where there were a lot of people on like in poverty or single parent families, people that were like, oh, I yeah, sure. I'd love to get my boys in some sort of thing. They need a father figure. They need a man in their life. They need to learn how to camp and start a fire and do all of these things. And the parents were literally signing off. There was no background check from the Boy Scouts. They didn't even ask for government ID when people would start troops. So they could have been using fake names. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's the Boy Scouts of America. I trust them. And these spiders were hiding in this organization and actively targeting and going after these young boys to abuse them. And it was Horrible and horrific, and really added a lot of context to the things that we see today and just things that are happening that we know are happening. You know, you see these documentaries like, oh, the trafficking is happening in in other countries and we should go and fight them and save these children. And we're doing this disservice of not actually telling the truth about where these predators really are. They're living in our own homes, they're in our Boy Scout troops, they're in our churches. They're in our coaching systems. They're in our schools. And we hear so much more about teachers and troop leaders and priests getting caught doing this. I mean, into the thousands more so than people that we like to point fingers at like, oh, it's drag queens or it's the LGBTQ community and things like that. Like it's really sort of a disservice. And for me, seeing that story and knowing what I know, and then being able to talk to you and sort of triangulate all of these things and go, well, I know what's happening because I'm getting it from all these different sides. I think, and it is something that we're going to talk about because it's going to come up a lot this year. A lot of interviews, we're going to be talking about this exact topic. And that's why we're doing the educational stuff first, but it's there. And it's a disservice to my listeners, to your children, to anybody that's listening, who's going... No, because it's happening. Mm-hmm. Dr. Amy, let's talk about what we should be looking out for and what should we be talking to our children about so that they can be keen and and keep an eye out for any of this stuff that they're like, hey, you know what? My teacher said this weird thing to me today and it made me feel kind of awkward and I want to talk to you and, and developing a safe space between parent and child so that our children can come to us and say, mom, dad. This really weird thing happened and I wanted to bring it to your attention so that you know about it too.
1: Right. So I think the easiest way for parents to start this conversation is to watch the videos with their kids and go through the behaviors. The videos are very gently paced. They say, if at any point you want to stop, if at any point you want to say, something that happened to you or something that happened to someone, you know, then stop. But I do think just in the same way that we teach our kids to cross the street, right? And we teach them to stop at stop signs and look both ways and notice if someone's driving erratically or too fast. We want to give them the same information to be able to stop at stop signs in their relationships, With adults. And that's what the videos are intended to do. And they really do. They walk through all the patterns that we just walked through for covert emotional abuse. And then there's a second video called how to spot an obvious spider that talks about what does count as obvious emotional abuse. And So one rule of thumb I want to give people, especially in like a sports setting or a theater setting or a music setting or any kind of performance setting is if a behavior isn't okay, wouldn't be okay in a classroom, then it's not okay from a coach. And for some crazy reason in our society, we've decided that coaches can yell things and be demeaning and throw water bottles or clipboards And somehow, in the sports context, that's okay. And we go a step further. It's especially okay if the coach is winning, and actually, it's not ever okay. And then the last part of how to spot an obvious spider is really talking through what kind of touch is okay and knowing how to say sexual body parts and where they are. So, mouth, hands, breasts butt, penis, vagina, and anus. And what I say is if you can say mouth and hands, then you can say the other words. You need to know where they are. And anybody who is showing you their sexual body parts, I don't like to call them private parts, sexual body parts, anyone who is showing them to you in person on video asking you to show your sexual body parts to them in person or on video, anyone who's talking to you about it, anybody who is touching one of your sexual body parts with one of their sexual body parts, all of that is sexual abuse. And kids just need to know that. And I don't feel like kids need to remember every single pattern in each of the videos. They just need to know And be able to say, like you said, this is creeping me out. Or mom, I think my coach is a spider. That's enough. All you want them to do is to have that ability to trust their instincts and to be able to say, I'm uncomfortable. And then as a parent, I wish this went without saying, but it doesn't always. You want to listen and you want to believe them. Because if the kid is telling you something is of concern it's probably worse than what they're telling you so you want to take it seriously and not say oh well he was just being friendly or he would never do that or you know all of the thing other things that people sometimes say and if you have said that don't beat yourself up just go back and say 3 months ago you told me this and i wasn't paying as much attention as i should have been i want to have the conversation again.
0: Yeah. And I want to also add and agree with what you're saying about the anatomically correct terms. Because if something happens to your child, heaven forbid, and the police come to your child and say, what happened? And they said, they touched me on my TT. The TT is not a body part. And the cops can't really do anything for that. I've had conversations with Another person that's going to be coming on the show, the TikTok advocate, Katie, she's fantastic. But that was one of the things that she said to me that really stuck with me was make sure your children know what those are called, even if they prefer to use another term, you know, like in the home or whatever, cutesy, whatever, but make sure they know what those are called because if something were to happen and you were to report it, you need to know the proper anatomically correct terms.
1: Well, and I would go a step further because there's actually data to say that people who know and feel comfortable using proper anatomical terms are much less likely to be abused in the first place. Because if a coach touches an anatomical body part, they can either tell a parent or just say to the coach, like, don't touch my butt. And then spiders are usually pretty scared. And if they have a sense, and we this will get also to the policies and procedures, which I did want to touch on just a bit, if they have a sense that people know what's up, they're going to look for someone else or somewhere else. So this just seems like a good moment to segue and say, on my website, there's a ton of free resources that are available And on the bottom right of the resources page is something called policies and procedures. And it is a list of policies and procedures that you would hope that any organization you're taking your child to has enacted. And it includes things like hiring policies. What kind of questions do you ask to weed out spiders, conduct agreements that Employees need to sign, and that just tells a potential employee, oh, this organization knows what's up. They know what they're looking for. I'm not going to get away with this here. How to set up safe reporting procedures, how to respond to concern about abuse, and you want your organizations that you're taking your kids to to have these things in place. You want them to have posters on the wall that are both in adult speak and kids speak. And there are posters to be just like printed out on my website about how what kind of behavior is acceptable and what kind of behavior is not acceptable. You know, we can be doing a lot more. So for the parents who are listening who are AYSO coaches or have who do have their kids in Boy Scouts or do have their kids in a church program, it's like, can we implement these things in our program? Or, you know, and better yet, if you're not going to implement these things in your program, then I'm going to find a new program. But we can be doing stuff in our home to educate our own children, but we can be doing stuff out in the world to make the organizations that we entrust our children to safer.
0: Imagine if every single parent went to your website and printed that out and kept it with them. And every single time they signed their child up for anything or even thought about it, they brought that in and then they said, I need to go through these with you so that I feel safe. And the impact of those businesses realizing that parents are coming in and demanding that their children are protected really, I mean, basic bottom of the barrel protections, it really seems like. But going in and saying, What are your policies? Answer these questions. How do you go about hiring people? What's the background check look like? And these businesses going, well, we don't really have any of this in place. And you going, thank you for your time. We're going to go somewhere else. And the impact of those businesses losing money.
1: Or thank you for your time and let me send you to spot a spider and yeah. she'll help you implement them. Like, okay, it's kind of like Maya Angelou. When the business knows better, they do better. And the other thing for the businesses to think about is... It is the right thing to do. It is important to protect your participants from abuse. But the added benefit for the business is that they are going to protect themselves from liability. So it's if you have a backyard pool and you have an alarm on your door and a cover on a pool and a fence around your yard and someone still drowns in your pool, you can say, I did absolutely everything to protect my participants from abuse and this still happened, which is way better than, oh, we don't have any background checks and we don't have a hiring policy. We don't have a conduct policy. So it's actually in the business best interest. And if they can say that and promote it on their website or whatever, then people are going to feel more comfortable coming. It was $25 million just awarded to some organization because of two cases of sexual abuse. So an organization could spend one percentage of that or nothing. They could just go to my website and implement the policies for free, but they could spend 1% of that to have me come help them spider proof their environment.
0: Just the implication of even either the business being like, yeah, no, we don't do these and you taking your business elsewhere, even the impact of that having a couple of times, even if the business doesn't care, the implication of them losing money because they don't care might also be a trigger for them to be like, you know what, maybe I should go on this website and implement this and make sure that people are safe coming into my business. Because that really should be the forefront in your mind. Anyway, I know not everybody is a great business owner. Not everybody is thinking about this stuff. But it now falls on us as parents and just consumers of these products and of these businesses to stand up and say, look, you're not doing anything about it. I will. And if you're not going to implement these, I'm going to take my money and my business elsewhere. And I'm also going to let people know that you don't follow these rules and to maybe not join this church or this group. Because a lot of times people don't care unless it affects their bottom line. And I would hope that people would say, oh my gosh, this is a really great resource. Where did you get this? We're going to implement this immediately. Wow, this is so thorough and well-researched. Thank you so much. That could be the other side of it. But the fact that these spiders can weave their webs in places that we go every day and can groom our children just from basic daily interactions. It could be somebody at the grocery store that just gives your kid a lollipop every time you go through the line or something. You don't realize because sometimes it's people just being really genuinely nice and you don't know. And so those red flags of the love bombing the gaslighting, all of those steps that we talked about earlier and going through that and having your child understand the difference between people just being friendly and people being sort of like overtly going out of their way to be friendly is a red flag.
1: Right. And the, the tricky thing is that really sneaky spiders try to look like just your friendly average whoever. And so the more patterns you see, the more concerning it is. You know, if the person wants to get the child alone, that's concerning, but it's learning to recognize the patterns.
0: Right. So say something happens and we talk to our children and one of our children comes to us a week or so after this conversation and says, mom, dad, remember that conversation we had about spiders? I think that my coach, priest, teacher, friend's mom, dad, whoever is exhibiting some of these traits. And it's bringing concern. And I wanted to come to you. At that point, what do we do as parents? What's the next
1: step? I think the simplest next step is something you said earlier in the podcast. It's listening and asking good questions and saying, tell me more. You might at that point, want to go back to the video, or at least again, on the resources page, there's both a discussions questions for each video that are up there for free. And then also on there is an athlete. It's called athlete because it's geared for athletes, but it could be anyone, an athlete experience survey. And you could walk through those questions with your child. And they start very broad, very open-ended. Tell me about your experience with this coach what do you like best about this coach what do you like least and then it gets more and more specific has your coach ever given you a special gift has your coach ever texted just you has your coach yelled at you has your coach like made subtle like right going back to the difference between covert and overt abuse right the subtle abuse of covert abuse is the little things like You'll be nothing without overt emotional abuse is like, how could you be so stupid? And we lost the game because of you and you're never going to make it. And it's like, you know, it's kind of in your face, whereas the covert abuse is just those little digs, those little, I don't know, tangles that eventually have you be really tangled. But I think walking through the athlete survey with your child, because it does go from like very broad and general to very specific, that give you an outline. Do you need to use every question? No. Are you going to let your kid guide you? No. Are you going to have a pretty good sense in five or 10 minutes of if this is concern or not? Yes, you'll know in five or 10 minutes if this is concern. And I would say in addition to listening, you want to look at your kid. Like, there's what they're saying, and then there's what they're not saying. If they have a look of terror or distress, that's important, too. And, like, if they look like they feel like they're scared, they're going to get in trouble for telling you that's of concern. Because, you know, a lot of spiders will say, well, don't tell anyone else. Or another famous spider saying is, if someone asks, just say you know, going back to the story I told before, if someone asked, just say you had an allergic reaction, right? Like often spiders will prime someone with the answer. Just say I was having a bad day. And
0: worst case scenario, we go through the athlete's questionnaire checklist, we fill it all out. And it's worst case scenario. We're like, yeah, this person is most likely a spider. I'm concerned. I didn't know all this stuff that my kid's telling me. And you have the concern What do we do? Do we go to an authority figure? Do we go to the police? Do we go to, you know, if if it's a teacher, do we go to the school board? Like what would be the next step there?
1: I think a little bit of that is situational dependent. And I think the first thing is that you want to take care of your kid, get your kid the support they need, get you the support you need, Certain situations, it's going to be pretty obvious that the kid cannot go back into the environment. And so, you know, if you need to pull your kid from school for two weeks because you need to have the conversations with the school and the PTA and the school board and maybe the authorities, then that's what you do. And, you know, honestly, if you're stuck, I do free 15 minute consultations for anybody So if you want to talk through what are your options, I'm working with a family now where it's a divorced family. One parent is convinced that the child is in an abusive environment. There are signed affidavits from multiple people who have left the environment that are deeply concerning. The other parent is caught in the spider's web and thinks that the environment is fine and I just drafted a letter to the the court appointed guardian of the child saying, child needs to be removed from the environment, needs trauma sensitive care with someone who understands coercive control. The parent who doesn't understand what's going on needs to read the affidavits and also needs trauma sensitive support from someone who understands coercive control. So you know, it really is just dependent on the situation. If you're having trouble thinking it through, then I'm here to help people think it through. Or you can you know, use a local, I would say, trauma-sensitive resource and ideally someone who understands grooming, covert emotional abuse, coercive control, as well as all forms of overt abuse. And unfortunately, right now, the law really only recognizes sexual abuse. I'm hoping that 10 years from now, laws are going to be written so that covert emotional abuse, overt emotional abuse, and overt physical abuse are all treated the same way as we currently treat sexual abuse.
0: Yeah, that is really fantastic advice. If anybody is listening to this and thinking that they're in a situation like this and wondering what to do, Dr. Amy is a fantastic resource. Check out her website spotaspider.com, all of the resources, the policies and procedures, everything that you're going to need to help protect your child in these situations, you will find there. Dr. Amy, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to share before we get into a couple rapid fire questions?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things that I want to share. One is you had talked somewhere in the middle about like the overuse of things like the words cult and gaslighting and narcissist. And I do think there's a way where they're creeping into the language in a way that, you know, I had a friend say, oh, I went to the shopping mall the other day and I was traumatized. It's like, uh, you know, maybe depending on your history, but probably an overuse of that word. And so I do think we want to be careful, but I also think we tend to think of a cult as a compound where people can't leave and a charismatic leader and a big group of people and really cultic abuse, which is the same as coercive control can happen in any setting on any scale. So I think that's important for people to know. And then I just want to make a reminder because kind of, I feel like everything we've said kind of implies that spiders are usually men and They are not always men. So I say that spiders can be men or women. They can abuse boys or girls. So spiders can abuse anyone of any gender, be any gender and abuse anyone of any gender or any age. So I just think it's important for people to be on the lookout for female spiders, which we tend to forget. And except for things like the Boy Scouts, like we often forget that boys can be victims of spiders as well. Yeah.
0: Very important distinctions there. It can happen to anyone and an understanding that you can also be a victim of this. That's why these resources and having these conversations are so important. If anything resonated with you, again, Dr. Amy is a fantastic resource book a 15 minute call and just maybe you just have a couple questions and and maybe those questions are answered and your mind is put at ease instead of you know getting worse so nothing to lose in having some concern and some getting some insight from Dr. Amy at the end of these I do rapid fire questions and these are tailored for spiders <laughs> so I am going to ask you One word that encompasses how you feel about coercive control. I'm going to give you two.
1: Sad and angry.
0: Give me a warning to somebody who might be in this sort of situation, a coercive control situation, whether it be a listener or a parent who has a child in this. Give us a a warning that maybe you haven't already given us.
1: Trust yourself.
0: This is an MLM one because we're just curious what you think. What is the worst MLM in your opinion?
1: I guess this goes back to my other answer before. Like any place these patterns are showing up, an MLM, an intimate relationship, a gym, a school, it's bad. And I don't want to like abuse is abuse and grief is grief. And I don't think we need to be like, they're all bad.
0: That's fair. They are all bad. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They're all bad. We're going to expose all of them one day. What is the hardest lesson that you learned in going down this journey about spiders?
1: Oh, that's a good one. The hardest lesson I've learned is just because I can see the web doesn't mean that Other people who I want to see the web can see it. I've also learned that for someone who hasn't been through an experience like this, it's not fair for me to expect them to fully grasp what happened. And so to like bridge that gap between the absolute cruelty of what I experienced And someone else's understanding of that takes multiple conversations.
0: And we're going to end it on a positive with a positive takeaway from your journey into learning about coercive control and spiders.
1: Okay. So at the very end of how to spot a sneaky spider, I name my abuser, which I'm going to do now. So her name is Georgina Lindsay, and she's currently also going by Georgina Lindsay Francis, or Georgina Francis. And we name our spiders for four reasons. First, to protect others. Second, to be a voice for people who've been abused but aren't ready to speak up yet because they're still healing. Third, to have responsible adults, including legal authorities, take actions to prevent the spider from continuing their abuse and fourth, to prove that we're free. So I do feel free, and I do feel like I have used my experience to protect others.
0: I love that. I I am a a big fan of naming our spiders. We try to name the MLMs that have harmed us in every episode or if we're not for legal reasons, give at least enough hints that people who are paying attention understand what we're saying. And I really like what you say about naming the spider because it really does. It gives us our power back and it helps others who are in those situations be able to say, yeah, this happened to me. It's the same spider, especially with an MLM. I can't tell you how many times people have found an episode, mostly about Amway. I feel like a lot of the people That find them are from Amway, but find an Amway episode of mine, listen to it, relate to it, reach out to me and say, this was the confirmation I needed. I resigned today. And it's so unbelievably powerful for us as victims to be able to name our spiders, to help others name their spider, and to help people get out of these coercive controlling situations with undue influence and you know, nasty actors that just want to harm us. So this was such a fantastic conversation, Dr. Amy. Thank you so much for reaching out and coming on the show and opening up this really heavy conversation in a way that was easily consumable and not so scary. Everybody that stayed the whole time, bravo. You are amazing and I appreciate it.
1: Well, and my intention is really to make this difficult conversation as easy and as comfortable as possible. And that's what the videos are for. Because parents, they just feel awkward or ill-equipped. And it's like, yeah. oh, you can do this.
0: We can do hard things. Thank you so much, Dr. Amy. This was fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon for exclusive content and join the community on Discord. You can find all of the links to follow in our show notes. Life After MLM is produced by Roberto Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold and Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans.